This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Uh, welcome to Un- Unlocking Astrology with the key master, Mr. Samuel F. Reynolds, unlockastrology.com. And now he has Unlock Astrology on Twitter as well. So I'm just mm-hmm. happy about that. <laughs> I'm excited. Celebrate. Yes. yes, yes. No problem. Water is good. Libations are good. Uh, Scorpio, 1967. How do you? Right. Oh, perfect Zodiac. Yeah, okay. All right. I guess oh, I'll rock with you. Yeah, Akila Norris got me this shirt. So shout out to Akila for getting this for me for my 50th. So it was very nice. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I was like, what's in your wallet? I don't know. All right. Well, I mean, I know we're going to we're going to answer an obscure question that somebody had in the comments. So we're going to we're going to answer explain why it's obscured or it's obscure. And for the record, if you ask, if you drop a question in the comments, Sam goes in. I'm in the comments. Y'all already know those of you who have gotten gathered up, you know, I'm that's me. I don't have anybody. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, we got to keep this space pure. If you want to ask a question or whatever, do it with respect. You know, we're, we're good with the, uh, you know, if you, if you disagree, disagree with respect. We got to learn how uh, to engage with one another. And there are rules of engagement in this space. And I make no apologies for it because uh, I love myself and I love us. So we're going to talk to each other like we got some good damn sense. Uh, but anyway, I digress. What no, you don't about? actually, huh? Go ahead. I'm sorry. You, you, you didn't digress because, you know, one of the things I was just smiling about and, and, and thinking about, and especially thinking about the comments in the YouTube is, you know, I often want to give a talk on how to be an astrology skeptic, because I'm going to be blunt, many of y'all suck at it, right? And you suck at it because you actually haven't done the research related to being a skeptic of astrology, meaning you haven't studied astrology. And when I say that, that's not with the idea that, oh, you have to become an astrologer or immersed in, you know, thousands of hours of study, but have some familiarity with it. You know, like, why are you subscribing to this? You know, I, I, you know, quoting someone from the YouTube channel, why are you subscribing to this bunk or this irrationality, Karen? You know, don't you have other things that you can do, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, come with an argument. What's your argument? And so one of the things I was laughing at, I mean, I got on Twitter last night because I was grading papers and I was grading my astrology students' papers. And specifically, you know, one of the things I was talking about is how um, astrologers sometimes, especially from books from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the height of the of psychological astrology, they talked funny. They tried to measure or not measure, they tried to merge psychological insights from Freud and Jung. And it sounded more like instructions or IKEA instructions for the psyche. And it's more talking about human beings as mechanisms to some degree, rather than as people or in a language that was accessible to people. So I got a bit of debate this morning and a bit of a debate on Twitter a little bit about it last night, but it got me thinking also about skepticism and how people are are skeptic. And like I always say to my students, and I can even do it a little bit today, you know, if I ever went to the dark side and became an anti-astrologer, right? I think I could be dangerous because I know what I would focus in on and the weaknesses in the compelling argument of astrology. So I thought maybe we might talk about that so that, 
you know, one, people are more informed when they're dealing with their family members or people about astrology, if they're sympathetic to astrology. Two, I mean, I believe in a dialogue. I believe in what, you know, the Supreme Court talks about as the marketplace of ideas. And I think it's all important for us to have good ideas. And if your ideas suffer, or not well-tuned or well-sharpened, then we don't have the advancement of a conversation. So I'm just saying skeptic. This goes beyond astrology. People naturally have opinions. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this. We all have them. You know, the idiom, you know, we all have opinions. Opinions Mm -hmm. are like assholes, right? But most people today do not argue from a position of fact and knowledge. They argue from feelings. Feelings are not facts. And we're having this conversation because I respect your intellect. I respect that you did the study. I haven't done the study, but when you talk to me, I've, I've researched, you know, I'm like, okay, let me see if, if this makes sense. And if there's fact and data to back up the things that you're saying, which I've found that there are, we're going to keep having a conversation. Now, I may not be all in, but those are my feelings rooted in a lot of superstition, rooted in a lot of the way I've been indoctrinated towards religion or around religion. I recognize that and I'm astute enough or self-aware enough to know that my biases against astrology are rooted in things that are not factual. So we're going to keep having the conversation as I chip away at my indoctrination, as I chip away at my biases. And this can go for those of you who struggle with racism, those of you who struggle with sexism, those of you who struggle with calling people by pronouns that you're not comfortable with. It had nothing to do with Facts, it has to do with your feelings about that, which still has nothing to do with that person wanting to be called a certain thing. And I'm bringing that up because that is in the news right now as we head into the Olympics and whether people should play, all of that. If you examine everything that you believe through a lens of factual knowledge or actually have read some things, I think a lot of us would find that we uh, don't know all of it. We don't know a lot that we just feel a lot. And um, I need us to get out of our feelings and start moving into you know, knowledge so that we can have adult conversations, but more importantly, so we can fix some problems here. Can't fix problems on feelings. All right, I'm done. No, no, those, that's very important. And then I also, oh, something happened. No, 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 I just, I wanted to give you the stage. So I, I, I blacked out my-, my <laughs> No, no, it's about, it's about both of us. So I, I love that, you know, we, we can have people that, you know, appear right, you know, together. Um, Well, let's start off with one of the most obvious ones. I mean, it's not obvious to everyone. One of the questions that I had initially um, as a skeptic of astrology, and I still kind of prod at with my students and sometimes other astrologers for S&G, is more so... S&G? Oh, okay, and giggles. Okay, thank you. All right. I didn't know if I could say it. Or, you know, this is our space. You say whatever okay. you want. This, right. is, this is what freedom looks like, Samuel Reynolds. All right. Say what you want. <laughs> so I, you know, one of the things is the mechanism for how astrology works. So one of the things I struggled with is like, you know, I thought astrologers were saying to me, are you saying that, you know, planets that may be even, you know, millions of years, not millions of years, but millions of miles away are impactful on me, right? That was what I couldn't buy. And the argument that 
some people who are akin to astrology, know some astrology, and even who are astrologers will muster is like, well, just think about the moon and think about the moon's effect on us in relation to how it affects water, how it affects emotions and these particular things. It is true. The moon does have an effect as our only satellite in its immediate effect that we can recognize according to Newtonian physics by in terms of gravitational force and pull and even some principles related to Einsteinian physics, which was more about seeing gravity not necessarily as just a force as, as much as even more related to almost geometry to sense in terms of dips relation to um, its rotation. Anyway, the problem with that line of reasoning is that if we go with the idea about the moon, which we can definitely agree, how does that explain even up to or beyond Saturn, right? And then going beyond Saturn in terms of gravitational effect, because technically then United Flight 4343 that might fly overhead might have more of a gravitational effect related to the physics or the idea of physics on me than say Pluto or an asteroid, which is even a smaller body. So how does astrology then justify the workings of these bodies you know, on us? And the answer, right? If I were addressing myself as the skeptic kind of stepping, you know, going between two frames, I would say is I wouldn't appeal to a physical framework or a framework that works by physics. It either is gonna be more symbolic or at best metaphysical going beyond the scope of what we can see. Now, the problem with for any skeptic, whether they're empiricists or they're atheists is that they cannot, you can't completely argue against a metaphysic. You can't disprove a metaphysic, but the other problem is I can't prove it either, right? So this is the same issue we have with God. I can't, no atheist in their right mind really, or I would say being um, not just rational, but honest can disprove God. The only thing is that they can say with some measure of clarity, I cannot prove that there is a God. And is there abs And so that goes along with the statement, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So I think, you know, when we talk about the workings of astrology, it does rely more on the symbolic and that goes toward anything. So for instance, one of the questions I'll ask a skeptic back, I was like, well, all right, so why do we use 60 seconds in a minute or 60 minutes in an hour? There's no empirical reasoning for it, right? There's, it's, it's just a modulus of time that we're using. And we actually have used different modulus for time. I mean, you can just open the Bible, like during the first hour, during the first watch, this, these particular things in terms of how we recognize time. The start of the day classically was not at midnight. It was either at dusk, or dawn, which are things that we could empirically see. Um, so, you know, how we talk about constructing reality, even something as simple as time is much more culturally subjective because we get the idea of going by 60 minutes and 60 um, seconds from the sexagesimal system that we inherited from the Babylonians, which they got also, or that also got transferred to the Greeks and then got transferred to other cultures as well. So we have to look at the lineage or the etymology of things rather than thinking like, well, this is empirically true. 
And it, it, there's so much in our culture and so much that we use in culture that is not about empiricism. And I think that's, that's why I would want like some of my skeptical brothers and sisters to do more, you know, read the humanities, read some history. It's not gonna, everything doesn't boil down to chemistry or physics on the level of physics. So for instance, people love to talk about, well, I stick to science. And what's fascinating, this is a tangent, What's fascinating, most people who talk about science and the idea of scientism are almost never scientists, right, themselves. Like, they're just people who are science adjacent at best and maybe even flunked it in high school, right? So, and it's, you know, I've actually asked them, I'm like, are you a scientist? Oh, you're a cook. Okay, so I mean, you do work with a different element of science, but you're not a scientist, right? Dealing with actual data and all these other things. Because when I talk to scientists, scientists are among the, the ones who usually do know that knowledge is politicized, right? And so they recognize, and we see that even with COVID. I mean, we, we all had a whole lesson on the politicization of knowledge and how it is not just about the facts because facts can be skewed and misunderstood and misrepresented. So that's, that's one thing. And the other thing a scientist will know, and this is what I actually respected about Carl Sagan, um, because even though he was not a fan of astrology, he did not sign a document decrying astrology as many astronomers had done. And I believe this was in the 80s, putting an ad in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. He didn't do that. And the reason why he, he, did, he didn't do that is he recognized, one, the limits of science and knowing that you know, it's something I don't know, right? So I'm not going to comment on things that, one, probably he didn't really care about, but was beyond the scope of scientific knowledge. And I think that's where we can get more honest. But when astrologers do kind of step into and put on the astronomer's hat or the scientist's hat and say like, well, just looking at the data and imagining like looking at the moon, then I think that's when we get in trouble. So that's one particular I also, I also like when you said, you know, there are people that are so in their lane. And I've said this before, and it, and it like was like a light bulb moment for me, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Because of other people's limitations, they have put a narrative out into the world that you have to know just one thing. But the true, I, I look at Da Vinci, I look at, I mean, we can go back. I don't know, unfortunately, many of the African scholars, uh, but I know Socrates learned some stuff from the Egyptians from because it didn't, yes. his philosophy didn't exist in Greece. He got that from Africa. Yes. But I mean, when you, did too. Right. But when you think about even the the folks that, you know, charted the course to, you know, the, to, to navigate the, the seas, the Africans that came here before Columbus, you know. They, they read, they, they had, some of them were musicians. You think about Da Vinci was an artist who also looked at science and also, you know, lived his life, you know. Um, I think there's something to be said for people. Like, I love to read young adult novels because uh, I think they're some of the best writers in the world. I read, of course, nonfiction. I read biographies. My reading taste, I'll read some Donald Goyne, I'll pick up some Iceberg Slim, I'm going to dive into maybe a juicier, you know, adult novel, because your, your brain needs, it's like food, you need all of the flavors to round out your intellect, right? 
And right. I think a lot of times we get stuck in a space where we're comfortable because we know this thing. Right. And then we get uncomfortable instead of like leaning into the discomfort and, and mastering it, we debunk it and we get nasty with it. We get angry about it. And then we, damn, we get toxic and we get on, on in the comments and start telling people they're stupid because right. we don't get it. As opposed to, you know, this life is so vast to be lived and there's so many people here and there's so many cultures, so many places to go. Why are we staying on the same block? There are people who've never left their block, who've lived in the same house their whole entire, they, they have never been out, step foot outside of their city. Right. That alone experience you know, other Like New York, you know, it's like, I've never left Brooklyn, right? So What is that? You know, let alone experience other people and other cultures and other ways. For you to go to India and learn astrology, for you to, you know, be an atheist, be a Christian, be a Muslim, requires to me a certain nimbleness in your intellect to be able to say, hey, let me explore this. Because you're not going to get there unless you explore. So my, my, my challenge, this channel is to challenge everybody who comes in to break some of the chains that bind you from your true vast self and to challenge yourself to do things that make you uncomfortable. And you may still arrive at, this is some bull crap. You still may arrive at that. You may still arrive at, I don't believe it, but test yourself to get there. And I appreciate you giving us yeah. that range. I mean, using some of the principles of astrology and even excluding some of the principles related to astrology, one practice I've long had since my twenties is, and it, at first it was accidental and then it became more purposeful. Every seven years, about around every seven years, which is a Uranus transition, I literally challenge, debunk, or try to debunk every single thing I believe. Every single thing. You know, like, is that true? Why is that true? Right? There's, there's, a, there's a conscious effort I have to look at with scrutiny about what I believe. So I went through this. Wait, um, walk, us, walk us through. What, what is that process? How, how does that? So you get a January... January of the seventh year, January 1st, you, you do what? It was 2016 for me, okay. right? And until 2016, was into 2015, into 2016, it really became this moment. It was around my Jupiter return. It happened to be around my Jupiter return at that particular time. And so how that, that looked for me, I did start with astrology. And I started with, you know, some things that irked me um, about the practice and the idea of astrology. So for instance, in terms of, you know, like simple things like, oh, you know, talking about the karma. Do, well, how do I feel about karma? Do I even care about karma? Do I believe in karma, right? Reincarnation. What, what are my feelings in relation to reincarnation? Um, and we, we take those things as baked in astrology. You know, a lot of people are like, well, what can you tell me about my past life and my chart, right? going with the assumption that one, I believe in that. So I think that's a lot of things that we talk about, like, oh, and you know, I can look at my chart, my North node or my South node in, in Libra and say that, you know, I was an artisan, maybe, right? But we, we talk about these things as rooted in. So then what was my relationship to Allah? You know, I look closely at Islam, right? What, what why am I doing this? Why am I praying? Because I was a Muslim at that time um, as well. You know, what do I think about love and, you know, the relationship with my wife and what are the presumptions on which we are together and how that works? So it was kind of really looking at different elements 
uh, you know, everything or whatever popped in my head and kind of thinking through it. Like, why do I have so many books? What are the books about? What am I doing? Right. So I think when I start looking at all these particular elements in my life, I may not get to every single particular thing, but even looking at the wider swaths of it, I walk away with a clearer dimension of what I believe, what I don't believe, and more importantly, why. One of the things I teach to my students is know your why. Because if I say to you, well, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, because I woke up on a Tuesday and I felt like it. That's the end of the conversation because I can't argue with experience. I can't argue with the sense of your feeling because that is what's true for you. And that's fine. If you know that is your why, even though I may say like, well, your feelings may change, all these other things I could address, but that is still your why. But most people don't know their why. Why do you do that? Because my mother did it. And so is that the reason why you do it? Just because your mother, you're going to do everything that your mother did, right? You know, it's kind of the same thing that our primary school teachers would say, like, well, because Bobby did it, is that because you're going to do it too, right? So it's all these different things. Um, so really, people don't seem to recognize that astrology is, is really as one of the older arts, we might even say sciences, really, especially when people study the muses, and you're talking about being a quote-unquote renaissance person, using even the, you know, the guy Da Vinci, who was a renaissance person, you know, really, you weren't considered an educated person until you had contact with all the muses. And Urania was one of the muses, right, in terms of you know, Urania was the, astro the, um, the muse for astronomy and astrology, right? So, and there were nine of them. So part of your education was broadening yourself to be uh, familiar with all dimensions of what we talked about cultured existence, which is very different than how we're talking about education now. I think education now is crystallized around you getting a job, not you becoming a full human being and aware of things. So many engineers, Y'all need more humanities, right? Or people who study science or who are into science, you need more of the humanities to kind of balance that out. Same way with, you know, some measure of the humanities to understand more of the sciences, right? But the problem I often find with skeptics, going back to our original point, is that they have no appreciation for things beyond the idea of empiricism or the qualitative experience or even the truth of their experience. So for instance, Science has been able to identify that how we have our mating and sense of mating between various species is pheromones, right? And the experience of particular hormonal releases that we have. But that's not how you talk to your boo. You don't say like, well, you came around, I had a pheromonal release and I felt something in some part initially in my libidinal brain and then it went to my cerebral cortex. And from there, I acquiesced a number of what I would call feelings for you and by this acquisition of feeling, feelings, I then feel like um, it's a neck sort adjacent to what I might say is I love you. You're gonna get slapped, right? <laughs> or, 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 or left. Or ignored, right. Yeah. Or ignored, right? Um, because that's not how we experience and talk about love. Now, do I have to say like, it's metaphysical, it's kind of what I can prove and what, like what comes alive and wins itself throughout the whole universe. No, I can't prove that, but I can feel that and then know on the level of feeling that's okay. That's poetry. 
So I think we can have, rather than a dichotomy, we can bring you know different aspects of poetry and prose together with problem solving and facts without thinking they have to be completely disparate and dichotomous. I love that. All right, so take us to, um, and I think I didn't even, I think we had, we had dealt with your skepticism, but you're right, you know, um, this was an important conversation to have in terms of how, how people should, and again, you still may arrive at, I don't believe in this. I don't believe it. Or do the work. Um, so let's address some questions and y'all can ask questions. Uh, so the question was asked about yachts. And, and I was like, and I said to you, what the heck, what the heck is a yod? <laughs> so the first thing to say, a yod is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, right? Okay. And um, so that's what it is. It's been applied to because the formation in a chart looks like that letter, yod. And the idea is that you have two planets that are in a relationship with each other that we describe as a sextile. 60 degrees from each other, which I'll come back to and explain what's a sextile, right? Because it sounds sexy, but it's not that sexy, really. I mean, it, it has some allusions to that, but not directly. So two planets that are sextile, both of those planets have a relationship to a third planet that's 150 degrees from both of them, meaning that um, 150 degrees is called a... Um, a inconjunct, um, some would say that they would describe it as, you know, we just say 150 degrees, a quincunx, some ways in which they, they can't see each other. But to bring that down practically, it's kind of like right now, you know, I'm looking out my window and I can't see, you know, my gate door. So there's a blind spot. So we could say the quincunx is like the experience of having a blind spot. Another analogy I might use is when you're in your car and you know if you're a safe driver, you know that if you want to make a right turn, you have to do more than just look in your rear view window and your passenger window. You have to look to make sure there's not a car alongside you where you can't see that car in your rear view window or your passenger window. So you have to actually physically look. So the quincunx might be comparable to where those two planets can't properly see, but somehow sense the presence of that third planet. The sextile, when I say two planets are 60 degrees from each other, that's the root for the sex and sextile. The nature of the sextile is that there's a sense of affinity. It's like the planet Venus in this sense, where there's some way in which there's pleasantness it's kind of how you have associates, colleagues at works, at work, people you know, and you have some sense of likability or non-likability, but generally likability, we'll say, and affinity, but it's not in which you feel like they're your people, right? That they're your heart. So these two planets have an affinity to each other and can't see the third planet. And so that yod becomes a way in which, and I think the, the person who was asking it, it becomes mystical in the sense that they're trying to rectify a situation with that third planet, whatever that planet might be, and trying to figure out some way by which to have some congruence, um, rather than just like having like, you know, a stone in your shoe and you feel like, you know, it's just going to be painful in some way in which you kind of 
figure a way to get the shoe out. Or let's say you have a corn, something that you can't get rid of easily. And you try to make peace with it so that you can you know, hobble along or walk along better. So this is the nature of a yod. I mean, some people talk about it in very spiritual loftier terms that is the finger of God. It becomes something that is fated for you in terms of understanding that. That's more of a recent modern understanding of it. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but you know, some people go looking for yods in their chart. Not everyone has a yod, meaning they don't have two planets that are 60 degrees from each other that have a quincunx relationship to a third one. So that's why I thought it was relatively obscure because there are whole swaths of astrologer, astrologers throughout history who never talked about yachts. That's something that has become more of a fashion, again, in the last 50 years. And then fashion doesn't mean that it's insignificant, but it's, it's good to also know that its place in history is not central to astrology itself. And once again, when people get their charts read, when they get their charts read, what, what should be the goal? What, what, are you, what are you looking, what should people be looking to do when they come to a Samuel Reynolds? That's, a, that's an excellent question. I appreciate that because I think um, that should happen more. And I try to talk about that on my, my website. The key thing that people are looking for, I think, is a greater sense of self-understanding. Um, if they're dealing with a good number of confusion, you know, kind of to get some perspective on what's happening in their lives from an astrological point of view, from the perspective of the planets. And ideally to get some insights that may lead to some resolutions or clarity on how to move forward and how to think about things moving forward, right? Um, in terms of that, that's the, the ultimate thing that I'm shooting for is really helping people get a greater sense of clarity and sense of direction and motion. I also see myself as holding a space for them until they're able or willing to occupy it, right? I don't see myself as enthroned in their consciousness like you need me, you know, as your guru or need me as, you know, your guide, you know, I, you need me as only as long as you need me or feel that, you know, you can't step into that space to get perspective on this particular aspect or time frame in your life. So people should not be coming to you like a therapist once a month or once a week for an hour or what have you. Yes, it no. I mean, and I, I think I told you I have one client like that. Um, and, and I think that because it really, it helps him. We, and I, I, spirit kind of directed me to do what I'm doing. <laughs> so I listen to spirit. I would not recommend that for most other people. And I wouldn't allow it for most other people. Um, you know, when someone gets to the point, even if they had the money to spend every week or every month on me, like, well, what about this, blah, 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 then I would feel like they're not living their life. Right. They're not participating in their own life, but allowing the stars to dictate too much of what's happening in their life. And then that's where I think, you know, the theologians, the religionists have a, have a point as the other kind of skeptic. It's like, then what happens to your quality of faith? Right. Now, now it becomes an idol. Now it becomes worship of another God. Correct. Now you are definitely uh, defiling God or whatever. Uh, right. Especially if, you, if that's your thing. But right. I think, you know, in terms of, you know, foiling your own agency, right, even if you didn't believe in God or didn't have a particular faith or a tradition, I think that's really important, which also can happen with therapists. 
you know, people can't live without like, well, I need to talk to my therapist. Well, your therapist ideally should be giving you coping mechanisms by which I you can deal with your life. The therapist should not be your coping mechanism or your sole coping mechanism. I love that. Um, I think that was helpful. I think some people were, were made free today. So on that, so. Samuel Reynolds, oh, if you want to get your chart read one time. <laughs> <laughs> or I even multiple agree. times, but you know, it just depends over, over time. It doesn't yeah. have to be every week. <laughs> Head over to unlockastrology.com. Of course, I'll put the link down in the in the com in the uh, not the comments in the description, and also hit the like button for the algorithms. We got to break those. And also, if you're not subscribed to the channel, subscribe to my channel. Subscribe to his channel. Follow him on Twitter at Unlock Astrology. And uh, I'll see you next week. See you next week, Inshallah. Right, love you. Love you too.